I just want to make sure, as we're starting, how many of you received your piggy bank? Oh, yeah. And if you didn't, would you please raise your hand right now, and the ushers are coming through the aisles, and they'll get one to you. Very important. Let's let these folks get one, and then we'll do our, our sample. Oh, we've got some over here. Yeah. Yes, and let's get that over with together. Oh, I'm going to ask you to do this a couple times during the message. Let's shake those. Yeah, there we go. And why do we have these? That is the sound of change. Now, in this case, coinage, okay, that type of change. That's right. Ka-ching, ka-ching. I need to take a little poll here. How many of you would say yes to this statement. When I finish it, you can raise your hand. You know, there's people who think change is a nuisance and that in all of their interactions or transactions, they try to minimize the amount of change by giving as close to the dollar amount as possible. Raise your hand if you're in that category. Okay, we've got some here. How about, how many of you would say, no, I'm in the category that says I love it and I collect it? Okay, okay, we're about 50-50 here. That's pretty good. Well, last night, um, one gentleman came up to me and shared with me that he's in the love it, collect it category, and he collects coins, but in the process, he found himself collecting the pennies that weren't of a significant value, weren't rare, and he used a big glass planetarium, and when it was filled, he sealed it with wax, and he finally got tired of it taking up space in his house, so he turned it in, and it was $1,700 worth of, of pennies. Well... A a father and daughter actually tapped into this very same thing about about the population here in the U.S., this thing about change, where some of us see it as a nuisance and others of it collect it and love it. And they were one day walking along the streets of Manhattan, he and his daughter, and they encountered a homeless person who was asking for change. And so the little girl says, can we give him some daddy? And, you know, dad acquiesced and gave the money. And... After they'd done that, she turned to him and she says, Daddy, why can't we take him home with us? To which he had to come up with a good response. I want to know what you would say to that question later. <laughs> but right about that time, he started mulling that over, the fact that they couldn't take him home. What could they do? And he had this vision of a penny across the Manhattan skyline. And he decided, you know, he started an organization called Common Sense, C-E-N-T-S. And what it does is collects change. And that first year in 1991, they collected $103,000 in loose change, 21 tons of it in pennies, the most common sense of all. And what did they do with that $103,000 that first year? They were able to buy 50,000 meals for homeless people. They were able to purchase camp, three weeks of camp for homeless children, hundreds of them. And they were able to purchase hundreds of blankets and thermal underwear so that homeless people in Manhattan could weather the New York winter. And what they discovered is what we want to discover today about change in our lives. That is that change can add to the sum of our lives. Change can be productive. Change can cause growth when we embrace it and walk through it with Jesus Christ. And we want to take a look today and talk about that a little bit. How could we change our paradigm when we encounter change this week? All of us do because it happens. And we, instead of thinking subtraction and a big minus sign and what I'm losing, how could we change our mindset to, oh, change, ka-ching, ka-ching, money in the bank. Here's an opportunity for me to grow. 
we want to look at that change. But before we do, I'd like to hear from some of you about changes that we experience across the seasons of our lives. I want you to just shout it out right where you're at. What are some changes that we undergo across a lifetime? Aging. That's right. That's got a lot of change associated. Marriage. Another one. What was it? Children. Yes. Somebody else? Loss of a loved one. Yes. Someone else. Moving, yes, yeah, moving, yes. What was it? Friends. friends, that's right. New friends are a great change, aren't they? Somebody else? Status, yeah, change in status. Understanding, yeah, we can grow in our understanding or, or uh, be limited in it, yeah. Someone else? Yes. What was it? Conviction, yes. Divorce. Yes. <laughs> yes, that is a change. Oh, let's get our violins out for Isaac, okay? <laughs> That's a beautiful one, Isaac. I'd be the first in line with that one. <laughs> yes. Computers? Leaders, yes. Illness, yes. Yeah, we can have a change in leadership. It can happen on our jobs. Companies can be bought out or sold, and we can also have illness, and illness changes a lot of things, not just for the person who gets ill, but the people around him. Yes, a change in faith. You can encounter Christ for the first time, or you can turn away from Christ and make a different choice. We encounter change all the time. Just this week, I encountered people who are going through these things, separation from their spouse, Another one, a divorce from their spouse. Another person had encountered, a, experienced a miscarriage. Another one had lost their job. Another one had just gotten a new job. Another one had experienced the death of their 42-year-old daughter. Those are big changes, and I think I could have come up with more if I had inventoried the whole week more completely. Change happens, doesn't it? And today, we want to look at how we can grow through change by processing it with God and sticking together with each other as we go through that. And to do that, we want to take a look at a story out of Acts, the 10th chapter. George Will had a little saying. He said, the future has a way of arriving unannounced. Anybody think that's really true in your life? The future has a way of arriving unannounced. That's what happened to Peter in our story and Cornelius in our story. Two guys and their friends and family. The future arrived unannounced. We're going to take a look at the biggest change to ever hit the church. And the church was really young when this happened. Could have been that they were as young as months old. Now, they've been going through some persecution, the good and the bad. But the one thing is change is no respecter of age, is it? You can experience change at the youngest age to the oldest age. And that's true as church's age as well. It doesn't matter what age you are. God intervenes. Also, things were going well. It was the worst of times and the best of times. The worst of times in that they had been undergoing persecution. The best of times in that lots of people were coming to know Jesus Christ. But in the middle of that, God said it's not enough. It's not enough. We wanted to grow. We want the church to expand. We want more people to love Jesus. In addition to that, change comes in the ch- life of the church. It, does, it happens even when things are going well, as we said. And no matter what age, but it always happens with one purpose in mind. 
the purpose of us knowing Jesus and growing in Jesus. And it's that that we want to key in on today. We want to take a look at how change affects us personally and talk about how we can process that with God and stick together in that. So let's take a look at this story. Now, this is more scripture than we're used to biting off. So how many of you had a big hunk candy bar before? Those white nougat candy bars, okay? Well, we're, we're tackling the big hunk of scripture. And I hope that it's as tasty as that. This is a little different because it's a story. It is not a letter of instructions. It's a story about what happened to some people and how God brought, God brought change. So let's look there at chapter 10. If it helps you to just close your eyes and listen, or if you're too close to sleep for that, I don't recommend it. Um, but otherwise, follow along in your Bibles if you have one or the Bible in front of you. Ch- Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa, bring back a man named Simon, who's called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, "'Get up, Peter, kill and eat.'" Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back up to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking... About the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he'd called all his relatives and friends, close friends together. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or even to visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call impure any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? 
So Cornelius responds and tells him the whole story over again of how God appeared to him. And in verse 33, we pick it up with Cornelius saying, So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. And then he launches into a sermon, introducing Cornelius, a devout man who loved God but didn't know about Jesus. He tells him a sermon about him. And picking it up in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. And there's our story about the biggest change that ever hit the church. You see, these people who were hearing this for the first time, Peter, who was hearing this, had also heard Jesus tell him specifically in Matthew 10, Peter, along with other followers of Christ, had heard these words, Don't go to the Gentiles, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel when they were sent out to spread the gospel. That's pretty explicit, isn't it? I'm explicitly, I'm telling you directly, don't go to them. Go to this group. Up to this point, Jesus' primary ministry and focus and his followers' focus had been Jewish people, God's chosen people. And now God's saying he's open to all nations, to Gentiles. That includes all nations that weren't Jewish. And that's what Cornelius was. He was a Roman. And this was a huge change for them. But how did they approach this? Well, in the same way that we're going to talk about today, the first thing we want to talk about is we need to process change with God if we really want it to add to the sum of our life. Both of these men were God-fearing men. They loved God. One of them didn't yet know about Jesus. But if we want to process change in a healthy way, in a way that adds to our life, that brings growth to our life, then the best thing we could do is start a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what was true of Peter. He didn't encounter change and try to do it in his own strength and go through it alone, but he turned to God in it. I love what George Orwell says in 1984, a very uncommon source on a Sunday morning maybe. I don't know if some of you have read 1984. It was required reading in a lot of schools, a a book about Big Brother and government control. But he said something that is true about Jesus, who controls the present, controls the past who controls the past controls the future peter understood this that is if i give my life to jesus christ if i give control of my life to him and say jesus be lord of my life if he controls the present then he says i'll take care of your past for you i'll take care of it every place you've messed up every place we've done wrong every place where we've sinned as god would put it or missed the mark he says i'll take care of that i'll wash it away by the blood of jesus the sacrifice that he made on the cross. And if I've taken care of your past, then there's a promise for your future, a certainty that you will spend eternity with him. He who controls the present, controls the past, and controls our future. 
That's so true in Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter understood. So when he encountered this most amazing change where God was saying, open your arms, open your hearts to all the other people of the world, that's a little bit overwhelming, isn't it? I mean, I sometimes have trouble getting my arms around just my neighbors. And now he's saying everyone needs to hear the gospel. This was a huge advance of the gospel. And we want to give you that opportunity this morning. You know, that's the very first step in embracing change that brings growth in our lives is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm going to invite you to bow your heads right now in case there's somebody here who hasn't given control of their life to Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to ask you, if that's you today, if you'd consider the claims of Christ, I can remember as a third grader not knowing Jesus Christ and encountering the first time that my parents separated and doing that without knowing Jesus. And then in the fifth grade, the second time that they separated, when I did know Jesus and the difference that made. And so I want to just invite you today to raise your hand if that's you today and you're saying, I want to say yes to Jesus Christ. I want to give him control of my life today and receive forgiveness of sins. And I'm just going to look across quickly across the auditorium. If there's anyone here who'd like to make that decision. Thank you, Lord. Okay, and we can look up this way because now we can say, what does that look like? What does it look like if I know Jesus and I'm going to process change with him? What's important to do? Well, we see the first thing here. Peter's a great example because protest is the first phase in responding to change with God. Protest. That's what Peter did. His first response to this idea from God that he should say yes to all peoples and not just minister to Jewish people was surely not, Lord. How many of you have had that response to change? A wonderful woman, Pearl Buck, said this, that Your age is directly determined by your resistance to a new idea. I like that here, right? Peter, your resistance to a new idea, this idea that the church was going to open up to everybody. You know what? Even in the 11th chapter, the first few verses, the reason I read that, because what was the response of the believers in Jerusalem? Same thing. When they heard that Peter had been preaching and eating with a Gentile family and his friends, they were like, That is wrong. You shouldn't have done that. That breaks the law. Really challenging. We like to protest. And my encouragement to us as we process change with God is lodge your protest with the right person. God. It's okay. You can be honest to God. Ananias was a man in the ninth chapter of Acts, previous chapter, where a man named Saul was um, presented to him by God and said, I want you to pray for this guy. Because he's my chosen instrument. And Ananias' first response was not, oh, yeah, God, I'm cool with that. No. He said, God, you remember who he is? He's the guy who's standing by persecuting us, gladly holding the cloaks of those who stoned Stephen, seeing, overseeing the throwing of Christians into prison. You remember that, God? Why should I do this? And he got over that protest. He protested to the right person. God said, no, I want you to do it. He's my chosen instrument. This protest, talk to God about the change. That's what we're talking about. David reflected this really well in the Psalms. He's the author of most of the book of Psalms in the Bible, kind of there in the middle of your Bible. And I love him because he was really honest. He didn't put a little nice coating of frosting over what was really going on in his life. Listen to Psalm 64, the first part of the verse. Hear me, O God, as I voice my complaint. Or Psalm 142, verses 1 and 2. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. 
I pour out my complaint before him. Before him, I tell my troubles. As you encounter change in your life, if you're struggling, talk to God about it. If you're resistant to it, talk to God about it. It's the right place to lodge your complaint. Now, interestingly, change always begins with an ending. And that's part of the reason we protest, right? Though our way of being, what he knew the church to be, it's the Jewish people and no more. That's comfortable. He knew how that worked. We know how things work. And then some kind of change hits and we're not certain who we are. William Bridges has done a lot of studying on change and transition and how we go through it. And he talks about different responses to things ending in our lives. And the first stage is what we call disengagement or uh, basically distancing ourselves, detaching ourselves. And then we ask the question, who am I? Who am I now? Because we have an identity crisis sometimes when things end in our lives. When a marriage ends, when we empty nest, when suddenly we have an ill spouse and we're just young and we're, th- we're looking at a whole different life than we anticipated, who am I in this new reality? That's the kind of thing that we might ask. Now I've got a promotion on my job and now my coworkers are treating me differently because suddenly I have a different relationship with them. I can actually have, I may actually influence their roles. This can happen. Change begins in these endings and we ask these questions. Interestingly, Christians love to quote Romans 8, 28. For I know that God works all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And that doesn't always help us when we're first going through change, does it? Now, sometimes we're not ready for that. Jesus got this. Jesus did not feel the need to make distress comfortable. He was willing to walk through it. In fact, he was just about ready to go to the cross, and his disciples were struggling with the fact that he was going to go to the cross. They were finally starting to get it. And he said this to him. He says, now is your time of grief. But in a little while, I'll return and your joy will be made full. He lets him know, now is your time of grief. He didn't say, vivant to pump you up. You know, he didn't turn to them in the middle of this very grievous time. He let them have their distress, but he also said the future will be better. And that's the beauty of going to God with our protest. He works on us. He talks to us about what we're going through. I have a friend uh, that I met when she was 52, and she had a five-year-old son that she had given birth to. So do the math. She was 47. Of course, I wanted to learn this story, and she shared it with me very quickly in our friendship. And she informed me that she was working in a hospital cafeteria, and she worked as one of the cooks. And one day, she had this, in the morning, she had this incredible experience that was very familiar to her as the mother of four children. Something that many women out here would identify with or have heard of from others who've gone through pregnancy. It's called morning sickness. She had this feeling and she was, her first thought was, that cannot be. I am 47 years old. She said, I must have the stomach flu. I need to have the stomach flu. You know? And she said, my husband's even older. This is crazy, God. She went to the doctor the next day because she was so distraught about the possibility because it seemed so familiar. So she had a pregnancy test, and sure enough, she was pregnant at 47 with a fifth child, and her other kids were in high school and older. That is not what she signed up for. That was change. And you know what she did? Six months, she lodged her complaints with God. She talked to God about it, including asking him if he couldn't just help her have a miscarriage, okay? For the first couple months, she was thinking, maybe I'll have a miscarriage, wishful thinking. 
That's where she was at, but she wasn't afraid to be honest with God. She lodged her complaint. And at the six-month mark, God turned her heart around to love that child, to accept it. She she is so worried about it. She says, we're going to be dead by the time he's 18. That's what she was thinking. She was worried about him, not them. Well, you know, what about us as a community here at Evergreen? We are undergoing change, good change. New people coming, new leaders coming. We have a new worship pastor that we're going to be introducing in two weeks to you. His name's James. And that's going to mean new teams are forming for worship. Additional teams, more people on the teams that exist. And guess what? That affects our way of being. Suddenly we ask ourselves, where do I fit? Who am I? We need to make sure we lodge our protest with the right person. Start talking to God about it. He'll start orienting you to that new way. On Wednesday nights here, we've decided that for 11 weeks, we're going to make ourselves servants of our youth service. And we're going to give them the auditorium, our junior high after school program, because they need more room for the hundred and some kids who are coming. And we're going to add a meal that we're going to serve them upstairs. And guess who the cooks, the setup, the teardown, and... Oh, okay, so a few hall monitors as well are going to be, and maybe some media people, they're going to be us because we're going to step down to serve them. We're going to stoop down to make them great, to let them know that God loves them right where they're at. That's a change for us. And then we have new opportunities coming. We have a new children's pastor, and she's building more teams. And, man, then I ask myself, well, if I'm working on that team, I say, what does that mean for me? That's the kind of question that we ask when we're undergoing change. And it's a good question to ask God. And we have new opportunities coming. In the fall, we're starting Financial Peace University. And Russ Green's going to head that up. And we're launching Celebrate Recovery with Tay Doze leading that. It's going to be an awesome time, but it's going to bring a lot of new people. And that can unsettle us. As much as we love it, as happy as Peter was, the more people were going to come to know Jesus, this was seriously messing with his relationships. Now, instead of reaching, you know, thousands of people, now we're talking about all the known world. I don't know about you. Sometimes it's a little overwhelming. But we get to, we get and agree to as a community to lodge our complaints with the right person. The second thing we see is a part of processing change with God is to ponder it. I love this. Think about it. Think about the change. Don't just launch off like a grenade launcher in, in reaction to the change. Think about it. That's what Peter did. It says he was wondering about the vision. And while he was still wondering, kind of makes a point of that, that he was spending some time thinking about what did this all mean? What's God really up to? What's he really saying? This all addresses us about being patient. Now, that word that they used for Peter pondering or wondering about it is the same word that was used for Joseph when he got the news about Mary. And that she was pregnant and he hadn't had sex with her. And that was a big news to a fiancé. And it says he pondered that, that he was wondering about that. And that's when God spoke to him. God intercepted and showed him that this was a child that was, that was um, given birth to by the Holy Spirit. And helped him to know what he was to do next. When we encounter change in our lives, it often brings up some fears in us. And fear can often move us to quick decisions. One of the things I love about this major change in the church, and it all started with a couple people, is that they didn't run out and act like this was emergency, 911. You know, there was time. 
There is not a real fast pace to this story. They took time to travel, but not only that, Peter asked him in, had him spend the night. He took the time the next day to collect a troop to go with him to Caesarea. And in the meantime, Cornelius got a whole bunch of people around him. So they didn't rush around like, "Uh uh-oh, things are going to fall apart if I don't figure this out right away. Instead, he took the time that he had. Jared and I, when our jobs were done with a denomination in Los Angeles with Foursquare Denomination, just organizational roles, those were done. And we had some other opportunities. And we had to ask ourselves, do we just do a knee-jerk reaction and say when they're done with us, we're done with them? Sometimes people do that with uh, places they've worked. If they're done, if their roles are over, they say, adios, amigos, you know, I'll see you later. But we had to wait. We had to ask God. And we had a particular opportunity in Colorado Springs for this church planting organization. And they were kind of pressing us one day. We need to get our answer from you guys. We want you to be the new directors. And so we had prayed about it. And I was in on computer in one room. Jared was on computer in the other room reading those emails about the pressure to make the decision. And both of us had an encounter with the Lord just where those thoughts crossed your mind. And he answered our question that we'd been asking him. Do we stay or do we go? He said, stay and wait. How many of you know that when one thing's done, you're anxious for the new thing? Because when it's not there and you don't see it yet, especially when we're talking a job, then there's this neutral zone, and it's a really uncomfortable place to be. It might even be financially very uncomfortable place to be. But we had to do what God showed us to do. How about here at Evergreen? You know, with worship changing, it was... It was interesting because one of the worship leaders met with me a couple weeks ago and she sat down and was sharing with me about her pondering with God what this all was going to mean. And in the middle of that, God spoke to her. He told her, change is coming. And then he gave her a very specific word for her that told her what she was to do. And that's what she did. But if she hadn't taken the time to just sit down with God, lodge whatever protest she did, because I don't know, she might have had a few of those in the beginning, And then listen, that's what pondering is all about. Proverbs 18 verse 13 says this, He who answers before listening, it is to his folly and his shame. We want to take time to listen. That brings us to the third part of processing change with God, which is partner with God. Act on what you know. Act on what he has shown you to do or what he is up to. And this can happen And did happen for Peter as well. This is the interesting thing in this story is Peter didn't really have a clue what was going on at first. But he did know this much. God said, there's some men coming to your door and I want you to go with them because I've sent them. What does he do? He invites them in and he asks them, so you've come, what are are you here for? And then they say, well, we want you to go back to Caesarea with us and preach it for Cornelius. Tell him what God told you to say. And so... Peter's still mulling this all over. He gets to Cornelius' place in Caesarea, and he says, Cornelius, why have you sent me? He's still asking questions. He doesn't have this all figured out yet. Cornelius tells him the story, and then, verse 34, he says, Now I realize that God does not show favoritism, but calls men from every nation who love him and do what is right. Now I know There's that dawning. I love Proverbs 4.18. It says, the light of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn. You know, that little bit of light where you start to see the outlines of things. You start to see on the horizon that the sun's coming up. That's what God's path is like. It's like the light of dawn that shines fully until the light of day. She was 50 years old. She had $100 to her name, and she had a few items, keepsakes, in storage. She had a job, 
as assistant director of nursing in a bush hospital 34 miles north of the Arctic Circle that she was going to go to. She was leaving an abusive marriage of 30-some years. She had raised her six kids, but God had told her, it's time for you to go and you need to go far enough away to be safe. And so she took that job in Alaska with $100 in her pocket. She didn't know one person. She had no other connection other than God telling her to respond to an opportunity that the federal government put out online. And she accepted that role and was there for seven years. And in that seven years' time, by the end of it, she had a home purchased and completely paid for, no mortgage, back where she would live after she got home. She had traveled the world. She had made new lifelong friends. She was the Arctic grandma for a pastor on a missionary outpost and his kids that were growing up there without any of their family around. And she had the adventure of a lifetime, becoming the assistant director of nursing, then the director of nursing, then being asked to take another community and be the director of nursing there. And that woman was my mom. She had a little bit of understanding from God. This is what he was asking her to do. And she did what she knew to do. And then God showed her more. And sometimes, isn't that scary? When we're encountering change and God says, I want you to do this much. And you don't know how the end of the story is going to turn out. She had no idea how the end of the story was going to go. That's what God's asking us to do. If we want to grow through change, if we want to hear ka-ching, ka-ching, if we want it to add to our lives, then we want to partner with God and act on what he shows us to do. Here at Evergreen, that's what we're doing. You know, on Wednesday nights, we don't know what's going to happen after the first 11 weeks. There's going to be summer break for the students, so the after-school program won't be happening. God hasn't shown us what the fall looks like yet. But we know that we're supposed to do these 11 weeks for these kids and really love them in Jesus' name. And maybe he's going to show us some things we can do for the parents that don't even know Jesus yet. But we're going to do what he shows us to do, and then we're going to see what he says next. That's what we get to do together. And we can agree to do that together here at Evergreen as well in our own lives. And that brings us really to the last part of it. We said, you know, to really grow through change, to really hear the sound of adding and not subtraction in our lives when we go through change, to really see growth, is that we need to stick together when we go through change. We not only need to cling to Jesus and listen to him and lodge our protests with him and partner with him. But we need to stick together as we go through change. That's what Peter did. You know, he could have just launched out. It would have been cheaper and faster if he'd just say, okay, guys, I'm ready to hit the road with you. But he purposely stopped. He took six men with him to experience this change. And then when he went to Jerusalem, he took them there so they could share the story of what God did. That's what we get to do. Even Cornelius He grabbed his friends and his family. He wasn't just going to listen to this message of Peter all by himself. He wanted to get everybody in on it. He included others. And one of the things that I've noticed about change is how isolating it can be. When we go through different kinds of changes, it really can change the number of relationships that we have and the accessibility that we have. One of the places is a change in financial fortune. We've had this happen in churches we've pastored. We've had business owners who employed many people, and then because of an economic downturn or because of a change in a market or some other thing outside their control, their business goes belly up, and suddenly there's a lot fewer friends. Suddenly they're much more isolated. Proverbs 19.4 puts it this way. Wealth adds many friends. 
but a poor man's friends shun him. That can be something that happens. That's a big change that isolates it, us. You know, having a baby can be this way. And somebody mentioned that way. Suddenly, your friends that don't have kids aren't as interested in hanging out with you because now there's kind of more boundaries in your life because you've got this other little person to consider. Sometimes this can happen if a spouse um, contracts an illness or a chronic illness and it changes your lifestyle and suddenly friends that you had or divorce. The friends are wondering, who do we associate with? You know, we don't want to take sides here. So what do they do? They skip all of them. Let's not hang out with them because they're uncomfortable. Don't know what to do. So many times change can be isolating. When I was in college, I memorized this uh, verse that I dearly love that relates to this. It's Proverbs 18, verse 1. In the New American Standard Bible, which I was using at that time, he who separates himself seeks his own desire and quarrels against all sound wisdom. The worst thing in the world that we can do is to say, I'll make this through on my own. And you know what? If you're like me and you were raised in an environment where maybe you had to be a survivor to make it because of what was going on in your family, there's a tendency toward this, toward gutting it up and making it through. I'm going to be the one. You know, I'll climb that mountaintop. And in fact, Western culture encourages this, the self-made man, the pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. But that's not the way we're meant to live. That's not the best way to live. That's not the way to grow through change. It's stick together. That's a lot better. I love the way the message puts this. Loners who care only for themselves spit on the common good. What's that saying? It's saying that when we choose to go it alone, we're actually spitting on the idea of our community. If you're a part of the community, then you need to stick together. And sometimes we have to help each other with this. One day I was just at our house and we were managing apartments and a guy knocked on the door and he said, Hey, Ann, I know you don't know us that well, but my wife, we're new to the church and And she is really struggling, and she's planning on leaving. She's bought an airplane ticket to go to another state far away from here. I won't say which. And she's going to take our two little babies with her. And I don't know what to do. And she needs somebody to talk to her. So he was determined. She was going through something, and he couldn't figure it out. So I went up to her house that day and sat down with her. And, you know, she had these two little babies. But what I didn't know is she'd had a third child. Her first baby had died a couple weeks after birth, and it was the anniversary of that baby's birth. And so she was going through a very difficult time, but because she was new, she had a new church family, she didn't really know anybody. So she was more isolated than usual. And this is the the enemy's opportunity. They call him the devil. That's who he is. He's a liar, the father of lies. So when he can isolate us, that's when he can pick you off. And her husband wisely knew, hey, let's help stay connected. Let's help each other. If you're in a difficult place and somebody knows that you're in that place, then we want to help each other out. We can be that kind of community for each other. In fact, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to pick up those connection cards in the back of the seat there in front of you. And why do we do those? Is that some bureaucratic fun? Woohoo! We get to do more data entry? You know, I certainly hope not because I'm not into that. No, instead, it's how can we really know what's going on? You heard me mention all the things that people were going through that I directly spoke with this week. How many more things are going on out there that we don't know about? It's our way of saying, hey, this person might be isolated. This person might be going through this alone. I just found out somebody that had gone through a hospitalization this last week, kind of alone. They're newer here. And I told them, you've got to call us if that happens again. Don't let that happen. 
We've got to stay on the lookout for each other. We can be those people. I'd like everybody to get their banks going here. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We can go through change and grow from it. We can let it add to the sum of our lives if we'll process it with God. Lodge our complaint with him. Take time to think about it. And then act on what he does show you. And all the way through it, let's stick together. Let's agree together. And I want to encourage you. You know, sometimes change in change, God's maybe saying, you're not sure what he's up to. Is this the community of faith I'm supposed to be a part of? Is this where I want to belong? I want to encourage you, until you figure that out, don't go. That's a dangerous place to be in. Always wait to go to something rather than leave something. That's what God's in, into. And we want to be a place where you can do that journey. You can do that exploration. You can have your doubts. You can question, is this the right place for me? That's okay. We're comfortable with that. We want to love you in the process. We don't want anyone to have to go it alone. Let's pray together. Father, I do just say thank you for all of the change, the future arriving unannounced this week that we'll experience. Lord, as that happens to us, as we encounter change this week, I pray, Lord, that you would bring to our mind, come to me, come to me, talk to me, think about it. Lord, I pray you'd help us to be patient in the changes that we encounter and to really listen to you and not jump off and react immediately. And then, Lord, I just pray that there would be nobody here who would end up isolated and alone. Lord, that you'd help us to be really vigilant about that with each other, to really be a community that loves each other, that stays connected to each other. We thank you for doing that. In Jesus' name, amen.